I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Leaf Report Podcast. This is the third intro that we're recording. The first one, we mentioned James's Mario Lemieux Socky Hall of Fame socks. James, so you were a Mario fan over Gretzky? Were you in that? Is that fair? Or no? I'm just basing that on your socks. Yeah, I really like Mario. I wasn't like, I don't like Gretzky, but like Mario, I really... But don't you sort of have to choose a side, like which team you are, kind of? No? I don't know. They were both pretty awesome. I... I almost missed like the very best of Gretzky. To, what I remember of Gretzky was him in LA. Well, that's what I remember watching. I don't remember watching him play in Edmonton that much. Well, so I'm a bit younger than you, and I remember him more with the Rangers, which is even less. <laughs> it's like it's like knowing Michael Jordan from the Wizards. I went to sort of. I went to a Kings Canucks game when Gretzky was with the Kings, but it was the year he was hurt and missed half the season with a back. That was the first NHL game I ever went to, and we were so excited we were going to see Gretzky in Vancouver, and he was hurt and he didn't play. Whatever, I think that was '92. I want to say. Hmm. But so for what I I was, you know, 12 years old, I think, I remember Gretzky as, which, I mean, some people are going to listen to be like, you remember Gretzky as an L.A. King? That's kind of, because the, the first Stanley Cup winning teams I really remember vividly are, are Pittsburgh, the, the 91 and 92. Well, yeah, I, I think my probably earliest memories are like Yager's hair and like Yager and Lemieux and Ron Francis and like. So those cup-winning teams? Yeah. So, like, right around that time. And I'm pretty young at that point. And then it probably gets better as, like, Gretzky was in New York mid-'90s, I think. So, like, around that time. He retired like he in 98, right? So that Yeah, like, in... remember he played for St. Louis, which is crazy when you think back about that. Anyway. He was doing, like, is he going to play in Toronto? Is he going to, you know, he was like, there was like a bidding war for him at one point when he was older. And he wasn't the same player. Like, he wasn't, he was still really good. But I, Lemieux had, like, kind of, um, I mean, they were both, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Lemieux was a... It feels, let me say something. Some, some, it, it feels like Lemieux could 
play right now and just be the same. And it feels like the game is like so fast that it'd be interesting to see like Gretzky's obviously amazing, but it would be interesting to see how someone like that would fit with the way it is today. I don't know. I mean, he would still be ridiculously good. Yes. He would just be Lemieux was so big and had like his hands were so ridiculous that I don't know, there was just something about him that made him very unusual watching him. And and like I said, his prime Gretzky's prime was the eighties. Mm-hmm. And and I saw it when I was a kid, so I don't remember it as like his prime was whatever. I was like five or six years old. I don't remember it as well as I remember Lemieux's prime. If well, that makes he, sense. Do you remember like looking at those numbers that he put up in like the eighties and stuff? And you're just like ninety two goals, two hundred and fifteen points, okay. Hmm. Pretty yeah. good. So I started doing hockey pools in like the early nineties and there were rules in all the pools. They was called oh. it was called the Gretzky rule. And no one could get more than a I think it was hundred and fifty. Wow. If you got more than hundred and fifty points, it didn't count. And it was called the Gretzky, it was called the Gretzky rule, and obviously Lemieux had a, had 199 one year, so he it became applicable to him. But the, the hockey pool I was in with uh, it was one that my dad had been in since like the early 80s. It had all these, it had more than that, but it had like these like Gretzky rules. So yeah. that's what I that's that's why those stats they like impacted the way I looked at hockey. Well, it's funny. I was I think I was talking to Chris Johnston about this. And we were like wondering what's the most a player now is going to be able to get. Like, are we ever are we going to see a guy get over? Like, we could see McDavid get 120 points, right? But could you see him getting more than that? Like, I can't see anyone even like crossing into. What was the last time a player had 130? It's been a long time, wasn't it? Yager, like a long way back. Yeah. It's been quite a long time. It feels like 120 is like the high bar right now, even with McDavid. Did you watch that game, the Oilers and Penguins? McDavid played 28-26, career high. He's on pace to play some of the highest minute load. in it, uh, Since ice time is available, he's on pace to have the eighth most minutes per game of a forward. How do you feel about that? Because that comes up, like I, I think the guys on Overdrive are talking about it. Ray Ferraro brought it up, uh, that he thinks Matthews should play more. And I I tend to think the other way. Like I think I think it's smart. If you're trying to win a cup and just preserve these guys to not play them McDavid level minutes. There's there's a bunch of things that are going on and that I think the coach and the GM in Edmonton are probably in trouble and they, they really need the team to perform. And when I, I, I talked to other people with teams about that and they said that the concern with playing him so much is that it'll be cumulative over the year and he'll mm-hmm. get worn out by like February or March or whatever and then it'll add up. He he can do that. Like, if it's not a back-to-back game, he probably can play 25, 26 minutes all the time. Um, it's not that uncommon for a player to play, a forward to play 26 minutes or 27 minutes in a game that goes to overtime. Like, if you look back over the last few years, it happens. Patrick Kane's done it, and Tyler Sagan has done it. And so if you get, like, a center injured or something and you need to play, you need to double-shift a guy mm-hmm. or, or you're trailing by a goal or two, it happens. The question is, can you do it every single night with how the NHL schedule is grueling and Edmonton's travel is not very easy. They have probably one of the five or six hardest travel schedules. Hmm. I would think that there's probably a number that's the high bar of what McDavid should play. Like it's it's probably like, I, I don't know what it is though. Like I, I don't know what 22-ish. I was going to say like 23, 23 and a half. It's a lot, man. Like I, I, I did a story. So I looked up the points, by the way. Uh, Crosby had 120 points in 06-07. That's the last time anybody's been there. So no one's had 130 since Lemieux had 161 in 1996. Just a standard 161? 
He, <laughs> I thought Yager had one, but it he had one twenty seven in ninety nine. That's what I was thinking of. So no one's even done more than one twenty five since nineteen ninety nine, which is twenty years. But they're gonna make sure he's gonna get a chance, McDavid, because he's playing thirty minutes a game. Like it's crazy. I don't know. It just seems. Well, he's on pace for. What's he on pace for right now? Probably one. Matthews is on points. Yeah. I don't know. McDavid hasn't gotten off to like. No, he, the, he has crazy. He has a whole bunch of points. No, no, no. I mean, like in terms of. Matthews still leading the league at sixteen points. But he's just know. he's played he's more played games. more games. I don't know what McDavid's at right now, but he's not on pace for. I don't the know, last I looked, after that Pittsburgh game, McDavid was on had a higher points per game than Matthews. Hmm. So he was on pace for more points. Anyway, I don't think they should play Matthews more. It would be my opinion. We've gone way off track to start the podcast, all because of your, your socks. And so the podcast is brought to you by the Saki Hall of Fame, as always. Uh, I think they keep adding players. Uh, well, they have a whole bunch more than this. There's been some people complaining that they don't have my team, they don't have my players, but they they keep adding. Like I don't, I don't remember seeing the Wendell Clark, Clark socks. Maybe they were there and I missed them. But the Clark ones, I can imagine people in Toronto wanting. It's crazy. He gets the loudest ovation of like any of the guys who come back, which is like, well, Wendell is a legend. Him and him and Gilmore are like the, but like more than guys who had better careers with the Leafs. And granted, there's not a lot. People just love that 93 team. Like yeah. That's just like, that's like tattooed on the, for for Leafs fans, the Leafs fans I know in the city and I'm friends with, they were, you know, whatever, they were like, like I'm talking about, they were like 12 years old in 93 or, or 10 years old. It made such an imprint on them. So now they're late 30s, uh, 40s. And like, mm-hmm. that's the team that they remember from being, I think that that age range it, it makes such a big impression on you as like a human being right like the music you yeah, listen yeah, yeah. to and all it's like they say i think that like they've done studies where the music you listen to when you're like 12 is the music that basically sticks with you for the rest of your life which i guess it would be the same thing with sports mcdavid has 13 points in seven games so he's on pace for like that's like 140 something i think seven games isn't yeah no i know but yeah do the math 152 do you think he's going to get 152 points? I don't think so. No, but I think he could get a. He could probably get close to 130 if he plays this much and doesn't get hurt. I think you're talking about what the high end bar is. It's probably around a little over 120. And you like you would have to get like the percentages go the right way. But part of the problem for McDavid is he doesn't have like enough players to play with to like really put up. Like if he was on a good team. They had like a really good power play. Okay, well let's let's do an, an experiment. Like replace Matthews with McDavid. How many points does he get? Let's say he plays with. I guess he'd play with different players. Maybe he plays with Marner. Maybe he plays with Nylander. And then I guess you could argue that McDavid wouldn't play as much. They wouldn't need to play him. Babcock wouldn't remember that there was a time when Edmonton was in Toronto and after the game Babcock like sniped basically that. He couldn't believe McDavid played as much as he did because he doesn't do that with his guys. And obviously, Babcock he was players. trying to keep up with the match. I think part of that was like he was trying to keep up with the matchups and like he couldn't because McDavid was yeah. out there so much. All right. So the socks are only 22 bucks. So, like, great gift idea. Go go buy a Lanny McDonald sock. Why, why are we still talking about socks? Let's talk about the Leafs. Let's talk more about Lemieux. All right. Let's talk about the Leafs. So, the Leafs didn't look great. For a couple games, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, uh, game against Winnipeg was more kind of what you expect, and that was kind of a fun matchup. Like where you have two teams who are like legit 
Cup contenders. Like we haven't had a lot of time in Canada where two Canadian teams are both legit Cup contenders. I think Winnipeg's probably got. There were some Ottawa Vancouver years there where they were both good. Yeah, but yeah, but not a lot. Right. I think. Would you agree with this? I think Winnipeg's got a bit more talent, uh, but it's close and. I don't know. It'd be fun to see them meet. Yeah, I think it's pretty close. I think they're both like right around. Like I think they're both in the conversation, the best five or six teams in the league. Yeah. I was looking at some of the underlying stats for the Jets, and they haven't been very good. Like they haven't been dominating teams possession wise, and they've been kind of like the Leafs winning with good special teams. You know, and you can see why. I mean, I really like Blake Wheeler. I mean, he's a guy that I watched in that game, and just like a lot more skilled than I think he gets credit for. Mm-hmm. Bufflin's really good. Um, Kyle Connor's good. Ehlers, I know he hadn't scored in a long time, but they have a lot of, they have comparable high end offensive skill to the Leafs, and you can't say that about very many teams. Well, and it's young too. Like Ehlers is young. Shifley's like twenty four, twenty five. Lyonnais like a kid, like he's twenty, maybe yeah. twenty one. So they're really young. But so, did you look at that game and kind of did anything stick out to you in terms of how they played? Like they look more like themselves obviously Kadri getting a goal that seemed like it was due to happen we talked about this a bit last year but don't you think that the Leafs kind of like show up better for like these games against like good teams and I mean I guess they didn't play that great against St. Louis but St. Louis isn't really considered like it seemed like last year whenever they played like a really good team they kind of were like oh we better like get it together and Mm -hmm. like play better and well I could imagine that with like a lot of young players like young players are young players and like when when you see Crosby and Malkin are here, like you're just gonna naturally be like, I gotta play really good tonight. Yeah. This is an important game. Whereas like, I don't know, covering the team back in the day, like you, they'd go to Atlanta on a Tuesday night, and it's like I can understand why it'd be hard to get up for that game. You know what I mean? Like I just think there's some human nature to that. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's some instinctive part of you if you're a player and you play for the Leafs or the Jets, where like you're playing a team that you that that is really good. And you want to kind of show them you know, we're better than them. There was you know a lot I mean? of attention around that game too, with you yeah. know Sportsnet and TSN both sent extra people in there, and there was Winnipeg like shut down the square outside the arena so that people could party outside in Winnipeg in zero degree <laughs> weather. And um, I, I, it's good for the NHL in Canada. It's good for the interest I think in in hockey in general in this country to have teams like that. I do wish they played each other more often. Like it's it's really interesting that we get them this game in Winnipeg and then a game in Toronto back-to-back like this. But I w- it's too bad that, that the Leafs and Jets don't play like four times a year. Mm-hmm. Well, so Kasperi Kapanen scores again. He's going to score 50 goals for sure. <laughs> it was a good shot. Yeah. It, it's, it's He's gotten better at some of those um, other skills, I think, that he needs to be a, a, a scorer in the NHL. Because I think when he first came into the league, he was mostly just a fast guy that had a lot of work to do on some of that skill development stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, but, one of the things he told me before the year was like he wanted to shoot more. Like there were a lot of times last year and in, in years past where like you'd see him get an, a two-on-one rush or Just a break. Deke or pass. Yeah. yeah, he'd pass. And it's like, and, and I remember Babcock saying this, uh, like we want him to shoot it. Um, I still, what I think is more interesting about Kapanen right now is what it maybe shows about Matthews. Um, you think of like really great centers in the league and they can take guys who aren't as good and make them a lot better. And I think that's to me clearly a big part of what's going on is like, we're seeing Matthews and like Marlowe looks 39. 
we're seeing Matthews take a guy who's good and make him a lot better with some of the plays that he can make. You mean he looks really good because he's he's thirty nine, right? It's a good age. He's not. He's he's a bit older than you. I'm thirty eight. Um, yes, and I think a lot. There's been a lot of conversation, kind of in in hockey Twitter, and and like the smart Leafs fans are talking about why are the possession numbers so bad for the Matthews line, and I think it's like it's it's hard for a young center to be the only like really really good player on a line. And he's getting hard matched by other teams. And so that line's spending a lot of time in their own end. They were much better against Winnipeg. I thought they had probably their best game as a group, even if Matthews didn't get a point. Uh, <clears throat> but it, I mean, he can only carry players. It's the same as McDavid. You can only carry your line mates to yeah. so far. I, like Matthews isn't to the point where he's good enough that they can be like a 55% possession line and score all these goals and do like do everything. Right, not Crosby. Like Crosby in his prime was like carrying Connor Sheary, Rust and Connor Sheary's and like I think he's playing with Rust right now. Um but like when you think of like who Matthews played with the first couple of years, Hyman and Neander, it's a downgrade to Marler, Marlowe and Kapanen. Like those are just right now Hyman is probably more effective, not probably, he's more effective than Marlowe and Neilander is obviously better than Kapanen. So, like, it kind of makes sense. And they've been getting, like, top lines a lot of the time. So maybe it makes sense that the possession numbers would be what they are. It's interesting that they, I don't know if you want to say promised, but they made kind of an insinuation. And Tavares talked about this on the broadcast after the game, that they gave him an idea that he would be playing with Hyman and Marner and that they saw that as a good fit for him. Mm -hmm. But with Neilander not signed it's taking away from what Matthews has to work with, and the Matthews line hasn't been as effective. Um, obviously, Matthews has tons of points, and a lot of them are at even strength, and it's not just on a power play. Um, but I think the concern is that he's not going to be able to shoot and score on like 30% of his shots at even strength for the mm-hmm. rest of the year, and that the offense isn't going to be there if they're spending so much time in their own end. So I get, what, what I'm saying is that some of some of what really worked about Matthews' line the last two years he doesn't have right now. Well, yeah, like the the amount of times him and Neilander would just kind of create things out of nothing, and the way it doesn't played, happen now. The way they played through the neutral zone, like yeah, they go very, back and forth. It was like ping ball, ping. Uh, what is it called? Pinball. Like it would just bounce back and forth between them. It was very much easier for them to break up through the neutral zone, Neilander, when it was Neilander and Matthews. And if they couldn't, Hyman would go down and and yeah. create a problem on the four check. Get the puck back, right. <laughs> He does that good. Dog on a bone. and yeah. Isn't that what Babcock says? Yeah. I was going to call him Babs. So I shouldn't do that. I don't like doing that. But so <laughs> one of the interesting questions that now kind of you start to think about, and we don't know when Neolander is going to sign, if Neolander is going to sign. But now if you're Babcock, I'm sure one of the things running through your mind is, okay, what do I do when he comes back? Now, to me, it's slam dunk. You put Neolander back with Matthews. But you can also make a case that keeping Kapanen with Matthews allows you to be deeper. Maybe you put Neander with Kadri, and now you've got another line that's a little scarier for opponents to deal with. The only- or, or the other thing that I was thinking of is you move Marlowe down, and you move Kapanen to left wing, and you play Kapanen with Matthews and Neander. Yeah. I don't think he'll do that, but that, to me, makes some sense. What I was going to say is that... 
the, I mean, it's going to depend when Nylander comes back, what how that well that line is playing. If, if Marlowe, Matthews, Kapanen is going really well, then I'm fine with keeping it together. But it hasn't to this point. Like, we're talking about what it's lacking and what's not working. Um, and I don't think Par Lindholm played over 18 minutes against the Jets. I mean, it's, a lot of that was shorthanded, but it's too much. Yeah. So if you look at, like, we talk a lot about the left-right balance being a problem on defense with the Leafs. It's mm-hmm. a problem up front as well and if you get Nylander back it's even more dramatic well someone needs to go over and play left wing yes that's what needs to happen yeah so one of the right wings I think some fans will probably say oh just put Connor Brown on the fourth line the problem I have with that is that the fourth line doesn't play so and I think Connor Brown deserves more than eight minutes a game so I think that whether it's and this is one thing actually tomorrow at practice I want to talk to some of the players about who's the most comfortable playing left wing would it be well, Connor Brown played left wing when he was younger. Um, can like his captain, and how does he feel about le- playing on his yeah. off wing? Because not every player can do it. You know, I've been watching Josh Levo. Levo's a righty, right? Yeah, Levo's a righty, and he's been playing on the left. I think it, he has a hard time with that. And I noticed with when they moved Leo Komarov over last year to mm-hmm. play on the right wing, it, it, he had a harder time doing that. Well, and like Zach Hyman, I believe Zach Hyman's right shot playing on the left. And is good at it, like it fits for him. So yeah, it's an interesting question. Like I do it a lot in beer league, and it's it can be hard because when you get the puck on the wall, you're playing on your backhand. Well, uh, Brian Burke talked about talked about Patrick Line on the broadcast about playing his off wing during the intermissions, and just like he highlighted a couple of plays where it's just a little more awkward for the winger. But I to me, like it makes even if that line is going good i still get neil under back with matthews like the, that combination is just too tantalizing it was too it's been too good the last couple of years like you wrote the story i remember at some point last year like top combos in the league and they were like right up they there were third i think and i looked at the numbers like for matthews with and without neil under and he's just way better with neil under not surprisingly um i wonder if babcock i don't want to say punishes but i wonder if babcock puts Nylander on like the fourth line to if we get he's got to he's got to get back into the swing of things and I could I could definitely see, or puts him on the third line and only plays him 12 minutes the first game or whatever and well so the one problem with that and with I said like playing Nylander with Kadri they have not been good together when they've played together in the past so it's not like you have a built-in backup option and it's actually one of the the interesting things that's happened with Nylander in his brief NHL careers like he's basically only played with Matthews and when he's played with other guys whether it was Bozak whether it was Kadri didn't really work and I don't know what that means or what that's about but like it's like the only guy who's it's like brings out the best in both of them is is Matthews so I don't know if that changes anything you think about I mean I wonder if that's part of the thinking that goes into the Leafs being a bit wary about paying Nylander a huge amount of money you know, is Ian Tullock had an interesting piece on the Athletic about how good Nylander's numbers are and how he's become kind of underrated through this process because fans are getting frustrated with him and the demands and all those things, and they're saying he's not as good as Pasternak and not as good as Ehlers and all of those things. And like, there's a lot of there's like animosity su- against Nylander that's out there. I'm surprised at how much that's become a thing with the pa- with Pasternak especially. It's like he's not good. At, he's not better than Pasternak. Why does he think he deserves more money? Well, it's like. Maybe it's, Pasternak didn't sign a very good contract. Well, and he signed it before he like really broke out. He's he's playing with Bergeron. He's playing with Marchand. Like he's also he's awesome, but that's like it's not that simple. 
Um, you mentioned the athletic. James, you're sponsored this week by the athletic. Yes. And if you're not signed up yet, we encourage you to. Um, we have a promo code for the podcast. If you go to theathletic.com slash leaf report, uh, all lowercase, uh, you get 40% off. So it's a great deal that we're running uh, for these uh, next, for three weeks. We did it last week. We're doing it this week. Uh, 20 people signed up last week when we did this. It would be amazing if we can get another 20 signed up this week. Um, 40% off is $2.99 a month uh, for the year. And you can read all of the work from myself, Ian Tullock, Jonas, if you want, Tyler Dello, Justin Bourne, Pierre Lebrun, Eric Duhachik, Craig Custance, Katie Strang. Who am I forgetting? Well, you're just mentioning hockey writers. There's lots of other stuff like for sports fans like me who like reading about basketball and baseball and football. I'm reading like stuff about like the Avalanche and the Carolina Hurricanes. See, and... I'm reading like Golden State Warriors and like... Well, see, if you like sports as much as you do and like all of those other like... If you, if you like U.S. college sports or, like, all of this other stuff, like, some of the writers we have are, they got some of the best people. They did. And I don't, I'm not saying that because I work there. I, like, I don't even, I don't, I don't read U.S. college sports, but they clearly got amazingly talented people. Because when I do read the pieces, it's like, holy cow. Well, and the good thing, like, if, if you're a hockey fan or sports fan of anything, if you're, like, curious about a certain team, like, so let's say you, you're watching SportsCenter or something and they, they start talking about the Lightning. You're like, hey, Kucherov only has, like, three goals. You can just go to the Lightning page on The Athletic and you can just read about what's going on with the Lightning. And so, like, Joe Smith has a story today about Kucherov and Stamkos. Like, what's going on with those guys? Because, like, you remember last year, they were, like, they rocketed out of the gate. They were, like, 1-2 yeah. in scoring. Now you can go read that kind of stuff. So that's what's good for for me. Or if you have, like, a fantasy pool and you want to, like, keep up to date on your players. and see what... I'm in lots of those in lots of sports. So I'm always like, and there's actually fantasy sports coverage. So the Athletics invested super heavily this year in NFL and NBA. We were already really big in on the NHL and and baseball last year. And then um, what 2018 has really been about for the company is getting into every single market. And I think we cover every single team in every major sport. I think there's I think there's only one. I think it's the Washington Nationals is the only team we don't have a beat writer for right now. Well, they're in a weird spot too. So. Just wait till Bryce Harper leaves, and then maybe Bryce can come and write for the other. I think it was just. I don't think it's like anything against the Nationals or anything. I think it's just some a random quirk that. Uh, but we cover every. So we have a beat writer for every single NHL team, so it's kind of cool that you get not only we have like ten, eleven national writers. You also get all of the beat writers. So it's amazing. Starting from I was the second hockey writer that that we had. Um, it's amazing to see what we have now. So theathletic.com slash leaf report, it's three bucks a month, two ninety nine. Um so check that out. Uh let's keep going. So one thing that I think we, we talked a lot about uh Neander and Kapanen and Matthews. Um we haven't talked a lot about Frederick Anderson, but like he was pretty good in that game against Winnipeg and like he's quietly had a pretty good start to the season, which obviously hasn't been the case in past um Octobers. Um, how do you think like his workload is going to change? Like, obviously, he would have played that game that Garrett Sparks started, uh, coming back from the road trip against LA, where he was hurt. He would have played that night. So you wonder like what they're going to do in terms of pairing back his starts, if they will at all. 
When's the next back-to-back? I think Babcock's intention early on is just to play Sparks in the second game of the back-to-backs, the same way he did with Chris McElhaney. And I wonder if they discuss later in the season about dialing Anderson back, depending on what their record is, depending on... I'm sure they want to win the division. I'm sure because that's going to give you a much easier first-round matchup, and then you're not against Boston or Tampa or apparently Montreal. Then you're not against like a really good Atlantic Division team if you can get out of that 2-3 spot. So... Um, Anderson's up to a 9.16 save percentage, which is pretty close to where he, he... I think he's at 9.18 the last two years. Pretty close to where he normally is. Um, an average number one is usually around 9.15, 9.14, mm-hmm. kind of in there. So he's a little bit better than an average number one goalie. Um, I, I I would be shocked if Kyle Dubas and Mike Babcock haven't had... And Steve Briere, the goalie coach, haven't had a lot of conversations about what's the right workload to give a goalie and how much can Anderson handle. And that I wonder if that early knee injury in Washington maybe spooked them a little bit and they, they have to dial it back. And I think that if hmm. Sparks can have more strong games like the one he had against L.A., right? It was against L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Um if he can have more games like that, that'll give Babcock more confidence to, to mix him into more starts. Well, reading between the lines of what Babcock has said, I think you hit on exactly what they're going to do. Like he's basically said in past years, he's been open that the bat- backup was just going to play back to backs. But this year, he's kind of like had this coded language where he's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how the year goes. Like we're, we're, we're going to kind of take this as it goes. And if we get to a point, basically, I think he said if if it's late in the year and their positioning is like locked up that maybe they'll mix sparks in more um blue sent carl garnerson to the ahl conditioning stand poor carl he's been hurt a lot yeah and he was hurt a lot in toronto actually he played hurt all the time yeah well he's not a big guy you've gotten us off track um i was listening but anyway, like that's obviously a good development for them that he's off to a good start this season. Um, what else would you like to talk about? Is there anything that comes to mind? No, I think you're right. I think Anderson was a big... I thought he was excellent against Winnipeg. That was probably yeah. his best game. There was a couple of saves where I don't want to say he was aggressive. He was. Just, he's just. He's such a big guy that if he plays at the top of the crease and he's not moving around a lot and he's not kind of skittish, you know, he can he can look kind of like a... I want to say a Carey Price at his best, like kind of just not a lot of movement. And that's so. I I wrote a story about this for the Athletic, where um, that was a big thing for him in the off season. Like he really wanted to strengthen his core, um, and like he Who changed it though. True, but like he wanted to change out his his workup routine basically, so that he could be more efficient like that. And he brought up Price exactly as someone like who was who didn't look like he was doing a lot but that's because he was always in the right position. Like goalies always tell you, like if you're making a big highlight reel save, generally you're probably out of position. Like they want to be not making saves that look that difficult. Man, you got to update your Marley. Jonas has got his Marley's lineup here. In, it's on, not, on the computer. it's just who's in this, the organization. Where's, where's Jeff Glass? Where's Frankie Corrado who is back? <laughs> Frankie is free and he is on an AHL deal with the Marley's. I went to the Marley's game on... Tuesday. Yeah, and you were texting me about how bad it was. It was not that entertaining. But what did you see, what did you pick up about what did you see from the Marlies that was interesting? Well, so I was just I wanted to see Lilligan. I wanted to see how they used Lilligan. I wanted to see who he's playing with. I wanted to see what situations they used him. Like because this is a really big year for Timothy Lilligan, and so like they were using him to kill penalties. They were using him to anchor their first power play. They're using him a lot. Uh, I wanted to see Grunstrom. Grunstrom had a 
while I was there, you know, a couple of good chances to score. What's interesting to me is like they don't have the firepower that they did before, and that's not a surprise because all those guys are in the NHL. Um, but anyway, it was interesting. I really like Trevor Moore. Like I think that guy can play. He'll probably be the one of the first call ups. I mean, he's every time I watch him, I just like I like what he's about and I like how he plays. Like I think he can be a fourth liner. The criticism of him, I think, is that he's like a bit soft, like not not hard on the puck. I have not seen that. Yeah. So. And he's not huge. He's not a big guy. He's small. But he's kind of like a new, quote-unquote, new NHL player. I like Pierre Engvall. He was not playing that night. Oh, was he hurt? He was not playing that night. I'm not sure. I was just going there to watch. Anyway. Why do you... uh, So they kept Rasmus Sandin. He was not playing that night either. He hasn't played yet. Yeah, he's been hurt, I believe. It's interesting that they decided to keep him. I wonder, like, it seems like the Leafs think that the new model, you draft these, like Sandine was just picked, mm-hmm. and the model is not to send them back to junior, and not to send them, like he was going to go back and play in Sweden, not to send them there, but to keep them here and just work on developing them. That's what they did with Lilgren last year, and he only played 42 games and mostly third pair of minutes. That they, the Leafs feel that's more beneficial than sending them back somewhere else because they they have oversight over the development. Mm-hmm. It's it, There aren't that many teams that are keeping... 18 year old defenseman in the AHL there I mean it hardly ever happens and now the Leafs have done it in two years back to back well it ties to like in speaking to Dubas before the year and he's mentioned this before um like he's really been a fan of like how the Raptors have developed players and obviously the system is different but they have it's called the G League now um they can send players the G League plays Blake Murphy covers it like crazy for us yeah so um so there's a G League, and like they can just send those guys down to, to play some games, develop with their NBA team. What's the G stand for? I actually don't. I think it's Gatorade. It used oh. to be the D League, Development League. I was going to say, it should be the D League. Yes. I think Gatorade paid to have that right. But basically, like... all these drinking Gatorade right now. Yeah, sponsor. We should get oh. a new sponsor. <laughs> anyway, um, so basically, like, all these guys you see now, all these young guys you see with the Raptors right now played in the G League. Like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, Delon Wright, I believe, played some games for the 905. And like so I, I would think, based on what Dubas has said about the Raptors, that they're thinking we can do more to develop our players when they're under our roof. So if we have Sandine here, we can do all the development stuff off the ice, on the ice that well, we want. We do in Sweden, right? Well like we can get him working with Scott Pellerin. Like we can get him working with all our development guys. We can get him working with Barb Underhill on his skating. We can play him a couple times a week, one time a week, whatever we want. Whereas, like, you send them back to Sweden, and it's like, yes, you're communicating with that team, and you know those teams, but they're playing for somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, so this makes well, total sense. Well, and the stuff sense. the Leafs are doing, it's like NHL-caliber development. Like, it's not... They have guys... Like, when you watch a Marley's practice, they got all these guys that are recording, like, all... They, they record, like, the practices, and, like, they they look at how individual guys are skating and moving the puck and then they like mm-hmm. use that video and they show it back to them again. Like they're doing like in-depth breakdowns of how they're, it, it's really interesting. It's well, and like, I, I think two good examples of this, like in terms of their development, like they're not stars and like they might not be NHL players, but you look at the way like Goche and Levo skate now, those guys were not good skaters when they came to the league. 
And now, like, Levo's actually, like, moves pretty well. And a lot of that is, is Barb Underhill. You know who junior Same with people talk, Junior people talk a lot about Travis Dermott and that skating wasn't his strength. And then now it looks like it has become one of his strengths. Huh. Well, he's a terrific... I think he's a terrific skater. But I think in junior, there was, like, some unevenness. They worked... I know, know for a fact they worked on him with his skating quite a bit when he was... So, hmm. if, if the Leafs can... Even if you're getting an extra... Was it extra two percent? Isn't that the, the the book that Kyle Dubas likes? If you get an extra two percent out of uh, every guy you you draft by putting some extra money into development and taking all these iPad videos of how they skate and moving them up, uh, I t- actually I talked to I, I had this in my story last week or two weeks ago about Goat, um, and he said that he worked with Barb Underhill. He he had a really short off season, obviously because the Marlies won the Calder Cup. Mm-hmm. But he was back in Montreal, and apparently Underhill came to Montreal. I, the Leafs, I don't think, have very many prospects based there. Like how many? It sounds like Underhill went to Montreal to work with Goche and work on him with his skating. Well, how so, many other French Canadians do they have? Do they even have any others? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, a couple other things I want to talk about before we go. Um, we don't have anywhere to go. Let's just keep going. Now I can't remember what they were. Oh, so Gardner Zaitsev. So one of the interesting things that's happening right now is Riley and Hainsey are playing more, starting more shifts in the offensive zone, which means Gardner and Zaitsev are starting a lot more in the defensive zone. And they've not been very good. Um, if you were Kyle Dubas, I don't think you'd be totally surprised, but would you be concerned, especially now Ron Hainsey got hurt? Apparently in the game in Winnipeg, um, the right side is still kind of a little uneven. Like, what what would your level of concern be with the defense, given how Zaitsev and Gardner have looked, and given Hainsey being thirty seven and what he is? You know, it, the D's kind of what we expected, right? I mean, there's yeah. nothing. The only thing I would say is that there have been games where I think Travis Dermott looks like he's ready to take the next step. He was bad against St. Louis, but for the most part, he's been good. I think he's their top possession D so far. Um, he was ill and he missed the Winnipeg game. And the other thing is I think Ojaganov has been better than I was expecting. I wasn't sure if he was going to make the team or not. And he's not only made the team, he looks like he might be a guy that can... You know, it was interesting when Hainsey went down, Ojaganov was the guy that they put up on that top pair with mm-hmm. Morgan Riley and played a lot more. So, you know, they're taking a long, hard look at him. And I think that he's already looks more promising than, say, uh, Callie Rosen or... I mean, Borgman's younger, so maybe that's not fair, but... He just looks like a guy they're more comfortable with. I mean, Ojegano's been beaten pretty badly at some points, and he's not the greatest skater in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he moves the puck reasonably well, and he defends okay when he's not getting beaten. And I think that what you need to keep in mind with someone like Ojeganov is that it's such a culture shock and such a different league that it's going to take him some time to acclimatize and get better. But So, yes, the D has not looked very good, but they've not looked good in ways we expected. Mm-hmm. Hainsey has struggled. Zaitsev has struggled. Um, the Gardner's Zaitsev pairing is not working particularly well. What the Leafs, I think, have to hope is that um, Dermot eventually can play higher in the lineup. But I don't know what that looks like, given that he's a left pair guy as well. That's the thing. Like, what do you do? Um, I think what what you need to do at this point, if you're not comfortable putting Dermot on the right side or Riley on the right side and, and moving Dermot up, I think what you do is you go to the trade deadline and you take a run at any defensemen that are available. And the thing is, if you look at rental, right shot, D, there's nobody. There's there's not going to be anyone good. Well, isn't Justin Falk expiring? I think he has one more year. Hmm. Well, I think. Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba, 
those teams aren't going to trade those guys. Eric Carlson is available. Just kidding. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, I left Carlson out because I'm assuming San Jose is going to sign him. But yeah, like that's a tough thing. Like there's not an obvious fit. But like, I don't know how you can go into the playoffs chasing a cup and expect that defense to be good enough. Which is like exactly like you said what we thought going into the year. If you're moving these puzzle pieces around, like one problem just becomes. I think like if you if you would be comfortable playing Dermot on the right and moving him, I would at least down, try it. I would it's least, just like he hasn't done it. Like even with the Marlies, I think he only did it a few games. He said he played, yeah, like two, three games or something. They like wanted to see what it looked like, and that was right before they called him up too. So it it, it felt like the Leafs were like, oh, let's see if he can do it or not. I guess one thing you could do if this, as the season rolls along is maybe you can move Orzaganov up and move Zaitsev down. Yes, or Hainsey down, or move Hainsey down. Yeah, Hainsey has not been very good. He is what he is, right? Uh, there was a quote Babcock had where he's basically like, Riley's getting better, Gardner's getting better, Zaitsev's getting better, Dermot's getting better. Hainsey is what he is, basically. Well, he said Hainsey's the only guy we have that kind of is what he is. And I mean, of right. course he is what he's he is. He's 37. Right. He's he just, coming up on 1,000 games. Um, Babcock doesn't seem inclined to try something really outside the ball. You know what? If Hainsey's... So he left the game. I think he missed most of the third period, right? I mean... If he misses any time, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Does Justin Hall come in? or I think if I'm guessing, and, and obviously people may be listening to this on Friday when the Leafs will practice and we'll get word of this, but my guess would be Oshaganov moves up <clears throat> and Oshaganov plays with Riley and Marincin comes in, comes in right and plays side. with Dermot. But at the very least, they should put they should if they're bringing Marincin up to play in the third pair, put Dermot on the right side and see how he does. Like why? Why put Marincin on the right side? Babcock likes having the more skilled guy play his, his natural side, which makes sense. So, Still, we talked about this, I remember, when they played the Bruins. If I'm another team and I come in, I'm going to target the least right side again and again. Like If I'm okay. dumping the puck in, I'm dumping it in on the right side. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting, maybe I, you put your system emphasis on, on exploiting what's happening on the right side of the Leafs ice because it's ugly. Like They're having a hard time getting the puck and moving the puck. And, mm-hmm. and Zaitsev have played, I think, 25 minutes against the Jets. Yeah. It's a lot. And I'm part of that's Hainsey goes down, but the gardner Zaitsev pairing is playing the most minutes by far on the team and spending a lot of time in their own end. They're like, you look at like the high danger scoring chance numbers, and I think they're down around like 38% or something like that. Like they're one of the lowest pairs in the league in that metric. You're just nodding. There's <laughs> some good. There's some good podcast. Jonas just nods as I say very, well, like, various there's things. There's not much to say. We've talked about that. I don't know what else. It's, to add. it's, it's an just interesting like, situation that the Leafs are on pace for a 115 point season, and they've won seven of their first ten, and they look really good in a lot of ways, and they've got a great power play, and I like the way that the penalty kill is playing, and there are quite a few things that have worked out well. The D is still the D. Mm-hmm. Just it is what it is. They are who we thought they were. That, they, that line has been used way too much. I'm sorry. So is it is what it is. We should let's just throw a whole bunch of cliches in here at the end. Well, okay. So James, we are going to take this one day at a time. <laughs> um, so the podcast again is brought to you by the Saki Hall of Fame and by the Athletic. Go to theathletic.com/leafreport. Two ninety nine a month, forty percent off. Maybe I should throw in a whole bunch of puns. Do you like all my Twitter puns? I'm getting people like unfollowing me and stuff now because my Twitter puns are so bad. I don't see them enough to be annoyed. Like when Tyler Ennis scored last night and I said, more like Tyler Innes. 
Yeah, it's a bad one. You should retire from that. Okay, last thing before we go. Um, Where are we going? I have to go. Oh, okay. I've got to work on a story. I didn't realize you were busy. Um, are you concerned at all? Like, So I wrote a bit about Andreas Janssen. Does that concern you at all, Like that he still kind of hasn't really found it? To me, he's like a really important piece for them being deep. If 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 he doesn't work, like if he doesn't kind of find it, that Kadri line to me is always going to be kind of murky in terms of what it can give you offensively and maybe even what it can give you in terms of being in a matchup capacity, matchup role, whatever you want to call it. Um, when do you get to the point with like him, if at all, like maybe it takes half a year where that starts to be a little concerning and like maybe they're not as deep as we thought they were. The thing I don't like with Andreas Janssen is you talk about him finding it. How's he going to find it? He's sitting in the press box or he's playing like six minutes a game with like Goad. Like, I think you, at some point you got to give Andreas Janssen more of a chance. Well, the interesting thing that's happened is like Levo, and, and I think I understand why this is happening. Levo's played every game. Like Levo, it's, it's shocking actually that Levo is not the guy who's been out, but like the way he's positioned on that right second power play unit, he kind of fills an important spot there. I actually like the way Levo plays looked, on the power play. Yeah, I it, I, th- I like that he's been surprisingly good to the, my eye test on the power play. But to your point, it Andreas Johnson is more important long term this year, and so maybe you're right. Maybe what you have to do is just get him in there playing every night and get him feeling better about himself. Maybe he gets a goal and like. Well, I I want to see Andres Johnson play higher than the fourth line. Yeah, he's like he's only he's just he's barely getting any minutes, and it's interesting because he does not look anything like the player he was last year. No, he looks so confident and so full of life and like energy and spunk when he came up, and it's just like he's in his head right now. So anyway, what nothing. <laughs> You got another pun? Don't just (laughs) cut it with the puns. I'm holding it in. I'm shaking. All right. That's all we got. Is there anything else you want to say? Any more puns? Anything else? More like Andreas Janssen. Like a yawn? That's the bit of Twitter's better. You can spell the names differently. Yeah, that's not good. Kapanen scored in my my line was uh, more like Kasperi creating cat problems in it. Huh? You should probably quit the puns. The one that people hate the most is Patrick Marl goal instead of Marlowe. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point, though. It's supposed to be bad. No, it's supposed to be funny. It's not funny. Isn't it? But it, I think it's funny because it's so bad. Like, it's supposed to be like, oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's such an idiot. <laughs> you know, like when the press box, when Henny yells out, like, or some random... Yeah, but Henny's kind of funny about them. And he he misses most of them, but, like... Two every ten are like ham, like winners. Like he, what's the saying in curling when you hit the rock or something? I don't know. There's a trend now where people are tweeting out sometimes what Henny says in the press box. Like <laughs> when we're sitting in the press box, Henny's not that far from us, and sometimes he just yells out some like random. Or if you're on the road with him, he'll yell out some like crazy. His dad jokes are like, they're like grandpa jokes. They're they're elite. So sometimes in the press box, he just yells them out, and now some other people are like tweeting. I think I think I think Masters tweeted it out last night. Captain scored and and he said Henny says it's a camera cappy hour or something I can't remember what the pun was it was that's something. pretty good that's better than creating cap problems and in yes lots better <laughs> you should quit 
I don't know where the, the pun in that is. No, there isn't. That's you. You're saying mine are bad. <laughs> I don't like them. All right. So that is it for the Leaf Report podcast. We'll be back next week. Again, go to theathletic.com slash Leaf Report. It's only $2.99 a month. I think if you're a sports fan, you will dig it. Uh, we will talk next week. Thanks. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.